Um, over the last while, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the Beatitudes. We came to the end of our series from First Peter and Ed initiated a, a conversation around the Beatitudes and in particular he kicked off uh, with the emphasis on what we read in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. And we had a, a closer look at the concept of righteousness and what has been given to us and what characteristics that inspires in us as Ed led us through them. Now what he did when he went to the Beatitudes is he went into one of my favorite areas of scripture because it comes as part of a passage of scripture which is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is hugely significant to us as the body of Christ because if you read carefully in both the account that you find in the book of Luke and the one that you find here in the book of Matthew, you'll find that this was addressed specifically to disciples. This was not a, an address that was made just to the curious and those who were around in both occasions it says he spoke to his disciples and he began to lay out for them the concept of what it was going to be like to serve with him. It's, it's not just a teaching about being a nice person. It's not just a teaching about the, the, the characteristics of the kingdom of God and the love and the grace that's shared there. It's about this is what we need to do to be effective to share and to extend the kingdom of God. And so for us as Christians... What we read here is very relevant today in terms of how we go about spreading the gospel. Before I get into unpacking it a little bit, let's read the scripture that follows from where Ed finished up last time, and we'll read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 to verse 20. And it starts off with a real humdinger. Blessed are you, that's great, we like the blessed past of the Beatitudes, when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were here before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it cannot be made salty again. It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I truly tell you that until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, everyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. When we look at this righteousness that we are impugned and imparted, that Ed has been speaking about for the last two weeks, we look at something which says... Because Jesus died on the cross, because of what he did when he lived and when he died, we have been given a certain status. We are righteous before God. In the simplest terms, it means we are in right standing with God. Our, our deal has been made right with God. We are accountable. We are deemed to be accountable and have to met our, have met our accounts and met our debts because of what Jesus did. We, we don't earn, but we are given the right to stand freely in the presence of God, the right to worship God with with dignity and to be with him in eternity. That's given to us freely and for nothing. There is, however, an expectation of how that changes our lives. 
I, I, I like to think possibly of, of the example of the fact that I am a, an armchair football supporter. I support Liverpool, who are not doing so well at the moment. Thank you. Is that a Liverpool supporter there? Stay strong, brother. Now, as an armchair supporter of Liverpool, I can choose how involved I get. I can be arrogant when they win, but I don't carry the burden when they lose. I can tease people like Andrew supports Arsenal, who can now laugh at me at the moment. I remember last year saying to him, they're not a bad little side. I know Ed supports them as well, doesn't he? We need to pray for these people. <laughs> but I have the right as an armchair follower. I have not invested my life. When they lose, I don't lose money. I don't lose status. I just lose a bit of enjoyment. It's not something that has changed my life to be an armchair supporter. There are people who are committed to the extent that they follow them around the world and their whole life revolves around the side, but that's not my situation. I believe they're a wonderful side. I believe they have good values in the way that they raise up young players. I believe they've got a great coach and some wonderful players. And it's great when they do well. I want to challenge you. Are you an armchair disciple? Once we have received that righteousness from Christ that comes... And that, that right standing with God, it's irrefutable and we're going to heaven. But are you somebody who cheers with the team when things are going well and just absences yourself when they're not going well? And what we're going to talk about today a little bit is about the need and the value and the reward of walking in the righteousness that we're given. I want to give you an example of something that I believe will hopefully encourage you. When Jesus gave this command, or this, this beatitude, the last one, he said, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That doesn't sound like a blessing. It sounds pretty hard. But there's a very important thing there. It says, when people do this because of your righteousness in me, because you are representing my righteousness, when people do that, you are blessed. And I must be honest, I don't think that the disciples at that time all understood what he was saying. They didn't go, yeah, we're looking forward to the persecution. Yeah, we want to be falsely accused. This is great. We're blessed. This is something to look forward to. They all thought, this is something theoretical that he's talking about. This is some state of anticipation or, or a distant, unequalable, what's the word I'm looking for, unattainable target. That it's just something that he's shoving in there, that, that you're a good guy if you stand up for me. But in actual fact, they lived out the reality of this in great intensity. I want to jump forward in the word to, where am I? Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, you can go there later. To set the tone, this is about three years after this wonderful promise was given to them. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. The disciples have been three years with Jesus, they've seen him teach, they've seen him perform miracles, they've seen him be crucified, they've seen him rise from the dead, and they've seen him ascend to heaven. And they've been given the responsibility of spreading the gospel, of being what they were prepared to do for all the time that they were with him. The people that will spread the gospel, that have the responsibility for sharing the gospel so that you and I, 2,000 years later, know about Jesus. They've taken on that responsibility, and for a while in Jerusalem, things have gone really, really well. Everybody liked them. They cared for one another, they looked after one another, they were seen to be good people, and it says they had favor with man and with God, and it was great. But then persecution begins to creep in, and there comes a time when the apostles are taken before the Sanhedrin, and they are flogged, and they are threatened. They are told, you will no longer preach this name. They are told that they are not telling the truth, they are treated as criminals, they are reviled, 
for the sake of the kingdom of God. And this is what it says, and I think this tells me that something has dropped in their lives. It says, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the Beatitudes, and this is the Sermon on the Mount putting into practice. They are beaten, they are mocked, they are scorned, and they come out and they rejoice because something has happened in their lives in the time that they spent with Jesus. They have realized the depth of importance of the task that they have. They have realized that being with Jesus is not just about seeing the exciting stuff. They have realized that being with Jesus is not just hearing good teachings. Being with Jesus is about saving the world. Being with Jesus is about the extension of the kingdom of God, and it's a responsibility that they pick up, and when they are castigated before it, they look back and they say, do you remember when we sat on that mountainside when things were still sunshine and roses, and Jesus said to us, this would happen, and he said to us, rejoice, because you are blessed that you have been counted worthy of doing that. That's a very different place from being an armchair supporter. That's a place of saying, I realize the importance of what I have in me. And I want to say this to you. You are important in God's plan. Each one of you has a, a plan and a path that God has got for you, which would be productive if we walk in it. He wants you to change the world. If you don't change the world, he will still love you. If you don't change the world, you'll still go to heaven if you've given your life to Jesus Christ because that righteousness has been given to us. But he wants you to walk in that righteousness. He wants you to walk in the excitement of being part of the plan that he has, and that's a challenge for us because it's so easy just to cheer with the good. Now, as we go further in this passage of Scripture, we get to what the expected influence of this righteousness will be in our lives and how we live it out. And it talks about salt and about light, and I just want to talk briefly about those two things as we go forward. Salt has the property of flavoring something, but importantly in the time that Jesus walked, salt was a preservative. When you put it into something... It changed it and made it better and it made it last. They told to be salt and not to lose their saltiness. Mankind every now and then comes up with things that make us enthusiastic. Think about it. Something that inspires mankind and makes us think that things are going to go better and then they don't. If we think back to the 18th century and the 19th century as things began to develop and we got to eventually to the Industrial Revolution, the beginning of medicine, people began to believe in the late 1800s that mankind was evolving into a really great place in the world. That through medical advances and through technological advances that people's lives would be easier, that they would live longer, that they would be healthier, that things would be good. There was a sense of great optimism going into the next century. And then came the First World War the consequence of the greed that had been inspired by the progress of mankind. And the First World War was fought, and at the end of it, it was called the war that would end all wars. And there was optimism because a League of Nations was formed, and people were going to talk to one another rather than fight with one another, and the world was going to be a better place. And then came World War II, and mankind's optimism was crushed once again. And after World War II came a period of time of rehabilitating, and then came the 60s and the 70s. What a fantastic optimism came out. All you need is love and sexual freedom. And the world will be fantastic. We just go around, we'll put flowers in our hair if we're going to San Francisco. We'll speak peace, we'll say ban the bomb, and we'll say everything's good. And life will be wonderful because we're bringing this wonderful freedom, this optimism into the world. And then came AIDS and crushed that freedom.
Sometime past came the expectation of what the computer age would bring to us, what technology would bring. I remember getting my first mobile phone and thinking, this is going to change my life. Now I absolutely rejoice when I can leave it behind or forget it. I remember people when fax machines were first brought in. This means we can get so much more done and we can have more time off. It didn't mean anything at all except you got more deals done in the same amount of time and you had more pressure on you. Then we got the internet age and we got the age of social media and we were going to be able to communicate and spread love, peace and joy. That hasn't worked very well, has it? We're living in a time when our young people are angst-ridden because of the pressures of social media, when people's mental health and people's sense of well-being and worth is being terribly attacked. We don't have a consistency in man's ability to bring optimism, to bring hope, to bring joy. But we do have that in the church. Through all of that time, the church has stood for the values that do not change. The church has been countercultural at times. The church has been mocked at times. But the church has given people something to turn to. The word says when Satan comes in like a flood, God will raise up a standard. When the world's plans have failed, people have been able to turn to the body of Christ as salt and of light. You know, one of the things that has, has, has really impacted me as I've seen the, the homages paid to the Queen over the last while is people have said over and over again, she was the consistency in our lives. She was always there. She always was there and she had the same values and the same work ethic and the same commitment. And some of them have acknowledged that was because of her faith. She has been salt for the time of her reign. She has not adapted her value structures to what is popular. She didn't give up on what was right and true. She was not ashamed to tell people that she was the child of God. She was not ashamed to say that that was what this nation needed. And that was being salt. Here's the thing about salt. If we don't make a difference, we're useless. If you go into a restaurant and you take the salt cell and they left it out and it's got damp and it's, it's, it's been exposed to, to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oxidization, I think it might be. Don't know what the chemical process is, but it's lost its saltiness. All you're doing if you throw that salt on your food is pouring white powder on your food. You're not changing the food at all. You're not changing the flavor or the taste. It needs to remain a preservative. It needs to remain, it needs to remain a flavorant to be of any value. And I want to challenge you. It is possible for someone to be a born-again Christian on their way to heaven and to be useless in the kingdom of God. Now that sounds incredibly harsh. I'm not saying unloved. I'm not saying unvalued. I'm not saying rejected, but I'm saying, are you making a difference? Have you kept your saltiness? Do you keep your saltiness in all the circumstances that you go into? Are you ready to flavor your office, your school, your workplace, your football team with the fact that you will stand on the word of God and his value structure, even if you are persecuted and laughed at, even if you are rejected for the sake of the kingdom, you will keep your saltiness, you will stay that person that's different, and that people will be able to look and see something constant, that no matter what happens, no matter that COVID comes and we're all thrown into to turmoil, that the church of God stands and says we have faith in our God, we trust in him for our future. When the economy begins to come apart and the politicians dance around it, that we can say that our foundation and our strength and our provision lies in our daily bread that comes from our Heavenly Father. That we can show a confidence, an enthusiasm, a commitment, an integrity that is not common. And we can do that because of who we are, because of that righteousness that's been imparted to us. Are you doing that? Or, forgive me for this, but are you deciding to be useless in the kingdom of God? 
I'm going to heaven. God loves me. He'll never love me any less than he loves me now. He won't reject me. He won't condemn me. He won't run me down. But I'm not doing anything. I'm not making any difference. I'm not being salty. We're told to be light. We're told that we should be the light of the world, that a light is not lit and then covered up by something. What light does is it exposes the truth and it shows the way forward. Are we as the body of Christ exposing the truth? Think about things like social justice. Are we the people still, as the church has been through the centuries, who are standing up and saying, that is not right that people should suffer in that way. We will do something about it. It is not right that people are excluded in this way or, 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 or damaged or reviled. We will do something about it. Are we prepared to shine a light on what is going on? And are we prepared to say there is a way forward in the love of Jesus Christ? This is the way that God says, are we doing that? Or are we just going with the flow and being, forgive me, useless in the kingdom of God? I want to walk into heaven one day and I want to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. That will be the greatest reward that any of us can have. I don't want to walk in and go, man, I've just made it. I've just skidded in here. I can feel the singeing. I've just done the bare minimum that is needed. God will love me. I will have a place of rejoicing in heaven. But will I look back and say, I have done what I was called to do? I'm being a bit blunt today. Sometimes we need to be a little bit blunt. There are a lot of us sitting here this morning. That's wonderful. Thanks for coming in. What a difference we can make if each of us takes on the task. What's the task? Be salt and be light. There's one more challenge that's mentioned here. And again, I'm sorry, I'm being a bit stern this morning. But before I move on from the salt and light, and talking about light, I just want to quote some things that Michael Eaton writes. And I use his his concordance quite a lot, and I appreciate what he says. He says, we are called to give the world a visible demonstration of God's scheme of salvation. We begin by realizing that this is our calling. There is no hiding of the fact that we are the people of God. We are to be bold people. We are not to put ourselves in positions of timidity and obscurity out of shyness or timidity. We are to be bold. Now, I just want to go back to what I said right in the beginning. I've said this before. It says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for his sake. This doesn't mean that we set out to be a persecuted people. There's some Christians who revel in their persecution and they behave in an unkind, strident, ungracious, unloving, uncompassionate way towards anybody who doesn't do what they think that God wants. They revile them. They are angry against them. And then when they get a backlash to that, they say, I'm being persecuted for the sake of the kingdom. No, you're being persecuted because you're a jerk. Because you're behaving in a poor way. We mustn't claim persecution in the name of God for what we're doing ourselves. We need to be people who do these things, who are salt and are light with compassion, with grace, with love, caring for those that we speak to, not condemning. Our voice needs to be one of consistency, of love, of strength, of confidence, of optimism, of joy, of knowing we have a foundation in heaven. Not one of saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and I'm right. That's not what we're called to do. However, we are not called to compromise. And I think that's one of the greatest changes that we have at the moment in the church is that people feel obliged to compromise the word of God, to fit in with social norms. The word of God says this, but society strongly rejects that, therefore I will alter that. I want to read to you what Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount about that. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law 
or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For surely I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Listen to this. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. They will not be cast out of the kingdom of heaven, but they'll be called in the least in the kingdom. If they do what? If they preach a gospel that says that sin is okay. If they preach a gospel that says that God's word is not relevant anymore. If they compromise on God's word, we're told that that will be considered to be people that are behaving as the least in the kingdom of God. It will be something that will let down what Jesus intends us to do. Right now, we faced every day with compromise. Possibly because of the fact that people haven't been gentle and loving and caring and, and, and compassionate as Christians. We are told that what we believe is no longer relevant. We're told that what we preach is no longer relevant. We're told that how we live is no longer relevant. So therefore, stop that and do something that is more socially acceptable and you will fill your seats. Our job in a church is not to fill the seats. It's great when the seats are full, but our, our task in the church is to preach the kingdom of God. If we're preaching something that's not the kingdom of God to fill the seats, then we're compromising. And we're told that that's not what our Heavenly Father is looking for. So... Forgive my sternness today, but it's because of what lies before us if we do respond correctly. If we stop being armchair supporters and we do climb into the, the battle, look what the disciples got. They got a state of relationship with God where even under the most oppression, even under physical violence, they could stand and say, we are blessed and go forward and make a difference in the kingdom of God. I want to encourage you. There is a cost of walking in the righteousness of God. There is a price and an expectation, but nothing can separate us from his love. And there is a value and a reward and a fulfillment that comes from saying, I will stand up and uncompromisingly live as salt and light with love and compassion and grace and care for those around me. But I will be different. The world needs us to be different. It doesn't need us to be just like them. If everybody conformed to every need of the world in the way that people were pleased by what difference would we make how would we bring salvation and change how would we be salt and be light don't lose your saltiness we called a peculiar people a holy nation be peculiar doesn't mean be weird but be peculiar peculiar means that you're unique you're different we need to be a, a, a people that stand out we need to be a people that bring something valuable into the communities we're in so here's my challenge for you in some small way, or in some big way if you can, think about how you can be more salty this week in your environment. Think about how you can shine light on what's going on and what needs to happen. Think about how you can make a difference. You might be in a particularly challenging environment. How can you take a step forward? How can you make a small difference? I believe so firmly in the evangelism of the masses each of us making a small difference rather than just crusades and just evangelical outreaches, but a situation where in the workplace, in the school, on the sports field, in the family, we make a difference bit by bit and stay being salt and being light. I hope I've not been too stern this morning. I want to emphasize that God's love will not change one iota because of anything that we do. We don't earn our salvation. We don't earn his love, but we make a difference. And there's the challenge. Let's make a difference. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus Christ was prepared to make a difference.
He is prepared to be different, to suffer what, that, what the consequences of that were. Help us to follow his example and to be salt and light in our communities this week and going forward. Give us courage, give us grace, give us love and compassion for those around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Johnny, you there? Johnny's going to be leading the guys to lead us in some worship. While that's happening, if the prayer team could come forward, if you'd like to start coming forward, if you need ministry, if you need some encouragement to be salt and light, if you perhaps are working in a situation where you're finding it really hard to shine your light, if you're finding it really hard to stand up and have a testimony, if you'd like to come, the guys on the, the prayer team are already coming up. They'll be over that side by the sofas. And don't wait until the end of the service. You can begin to come even as Johnny leads and as we share some time of worship together. So thanks, Johnny.